The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, we continue our series of recapping The Last Dance, ESPN's documentary on the career of Michael Jordan, focusing on really his final 1998 season as a member of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, today, I am joined by Nick Costos from You Better You Bet. You can follow him on Twitter at the Costos. Uh, he is uh, a really, a really interesting fella, and I, I think that you guys will really enjoy these episodes a lot different than the ones that I've did that I've done with Nate and. Peter, you know, we we really went through episodes seven and eight with, uh, you know, the Space Jam practices, the Sonic series, the Magic series, the retirement, the baseball. Thought uh, thought this one was uh, was pretty interesting. Of course, if you want to support the show, you can get bonus episodes on patreoncom slash TakeCast, and you can also just go ahead and support the show by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or Google Play. That is uh, very useful and helpful as well. And now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcoming in Nick Costos to the show. You probably know him mostly from Twitter, but also from his show, You Better You Bet, uh, a preeminent man in the space of internet gambling. Uh, If you guys aren't following him on Twitter, you definitely should go do it right now. But I wanted to bring you in, Nick, because doing the show thus far, uh, I've done it with my buddies Peter and my buddies Nate, and we were not really there for Jordan, like, like I, I never watched Jordan play a live basketball game. Pete saw some of them when he was a kid. Same for Nate. But you, you were there, man. You lived it. You, you saw Michael Jordan play basketball, like while it was happening. Um, can we curse on this podcast also? Oh, oh go for it. Go I like how that, I like how that was my first question. Yeah, I'm old as fuck. That's why I, I saw Michael Jordan play. I turned 37 in June, and growing up in Queens, New York, as a big fan of the New York Knicks, like I feel like I kind of have like a like a like almost like a special perspective on all of this because I didn't grow up worshiping Michael Jordan. I grew up despising hating Michael him. Jordan, like in, in ways that I can't even like. He's by far my most hated athlete of all time. And like the New York Giants have always been my favorite team. Football my favorite sport. The NFL is my favorite, um, my favorite league to follow always has been since I was a little kid, but the Knicks were my second favorite team growing up. And like, there's nothing like New York when the Knicks are good and the Yankees kind of yep. dominated everything in the nineties. Once they started winning championships. But for me, it was always the Knicks as a close second to, uh, to the Yankees. So those losses to Jordan in the nineties and like to a lesser degree, losing to Reggie a couple
couple times than the Pacers. They were never the villains to me the way the Bulls were because we beat the Pacers a couple times. Like, we beat Tim Hardaway in the Heat a couple times. We never beat Michael and the Bulls. Barely beat them without Michael in 1994. So, yeah, man, I, I, I lived through it, but I didn't live through it idolizing Michael Jordan. I lived through it kind of hating Michael Jordan, and now I'm forced as an adult to kind of rationalize my childhood hatred with Michael Jordan, comma, New York Knicks killer, with the fact that I revere him for being like the greatest competitor of all time. I think that is, I think that's very interesting because a lot of what they're getting at in this documentary is that, you know, there was, there was Bird and there was Magic and you, you picked a side, but there wasn't the fan bases that like hated Michael Jordan, right? And and we actually get that stuff now where like Warriors fans hate LeBron James. They hate LeBron. They do not like that guy at all. I'm an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Uh, I used to hate Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Uh, I hated Patrick Beverly. Like I hated those Clippers teams. You don't really hear that stuff about MJ, right? You you very rarely will you hear someone be like, man, I hated MJ. Like even like Patrick Ewing in this documentary is basically just laughing about how MJ used to used to kick his ass and Barkley's going, you know, if I was going to lose, at least I was losing to MJ. Like we, we really don't hear people say like, I hated that guy. Well, the fuck that shit, man. I fucking hated him. Right. Um, and you know what also sucked is like, and you know, I, I grew up in the nineties of late eighties and the early nineties. So I don't know if it's different. I think it's probably not. But like I had in my class and like I come from a family, my grandfather grew up in the Bronx and it's been just been, you know, my, my father and me and like my kids will be like this Giants, Yankees, Knicks, Rangers. Like those are the four teams in our family. Like that's never going to change for better or worse. And I'm a Yankees fan and I get called, oh, you're a front running homer. It's like, no, like I also root for the Giants who sucked for a good majority of my life. I root for the Knicks who've never won anything. Rangers have won once in my lifetime. So I'm like tried and true with my teams. And I think that's the way like New Yorkers should be like, and I hate to kind of like localize it, but like I'm, I'm a New Yorker. Like that's kind of how I view it. And I grew up with kids like who I still consider to be friends now. Like my buddy, Sean, who likes every single tweet that I put out on the last dance, grew up as a Bulls fan in Queens, New York during yeah. this heyday. I had kids in my class that rooted for the Bulls over the when Knicks. When they were playing the Knicks. The Bulls played in fucking Chicago. We lived in New York. Right. I hated them for that. So I, I took it personally, man. And like the line that I've been using my entire life, Michael Jordan, it was like a month of my childhood every single year, Michael Jordan snatched away from me and took away my happiness. Cause like, look, like I, I'm still a big sports fan, but not the way I was when I was a kid. Like it was like life and death importance. And every yeah, time it doesn't we matter lost as the much Bulls, now, it doesn't. Yeah. And especially like I saw my favorite, my favorite football team has won a couple Super Bowls in the last decade plus. So like, I'm good. But like, man, it was like, I took it personally. It was like a piece of my soul being taken away every time that piece of shit fucking beat my team. So, so as someone who watched MJ just walk over the Bulls for his entire career, how does it, how does it feel to have him say there, there are no more challenges left, there's no more motivation, I, I'm going to go play baseball because I literally am dominating the sport and I'm bored of how good I am at it? I, I, have, I can't like put a gauge on like the respect that I have for him. It's infinite. Yeah. Like, I'm, like he's people, I think just in general, and I think this is kind of, how old are you? I'm 27. 27. Okay. So well, I'm 10 years older than you. I turned 37 in June. Um, I think that there may be like, and maybe you don't experience this, but I feel like there's almost like a sea change right now where it's like people are kind of turned off by that sort of like competitive fire and like that sort of greatness. Like it makes people feel uncomfortable. Like for me, like I, 
hear someone say something like that. And like, I am filled, and maybe this is a flaw on my own part, but like, I'm filled with reverence for a guy like that who has mastered his craft to such a degree that he's like, fuck man, I'm going to try and go conquer another mountain here. I want to go do something else. I'm so, and, and, and I think probably the privacy part plays into this to a degree also. Cause look, I mean, he's like the most famous person in the world. Like, I don't know, like maybe like overall, not just athlete where he kind of needed to get away for a little bit. And, his, and I think the fact that his father was murdered kind of gets lost over a little bit in this regard as well. But like, what other challenges are for this guy? Like what, like you get up in the morning, like what do you do when you've summited Kilimanjaro? so many times and not just summited the top of like the biggest mountain, but like climbed on the backs of other greats to get there and then kind of right. like look down on them and be like, huh, fuck you. Like I'm here and you're not. And not only am I here and you're not, but you'll never be here. As long as I'm here, you'll never be here. And even if you get up here when I'm gone, they're still not going to like you as much as they like me because you'll never be as good as me. And I'm just like, again, like I, I revere that kind of competitive fire. And I've got so much respect for Michael Jordan, comma, competitor. And again, like trying to rationalize that with how much I hated him as a kid, I think is, is inter an interesting juxtaposition. My, my take on that would be there is less money, like there's less brand EV in being uh, a mountain, right? Like uh, an island, right? There, there is less, there just is less money. There's less there, there just is less good things that can come out of being an island, right? LeBron is buddies with everyone. LeBron wants to make movies. LeBron wants to be friends with the guys that he beats in the finals. He wants to team up because, well, first of all, I mean, this is, this is a very important thing to note is like there are way more talented players. So even if you wanted to say that Michael Jordan would crush in today's NBA with today's training, like I don't really have an argument against that. But there were not as many good teams in the NBA in the 1990s. There's the talent pool was not as deep. There, you know, the kids aren't playing AAU basketball. Like, like all of that stuff, you know, all that stuff was was not really happening then. So it's just it just becomes um, it just becomes a, a really different thing. I think LeBron is just as competitive. You know, probably not. Probably not like Kevin Durant. Like, you know, that's a, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. But the world, I don't think Michael Jordan could exist today because someone with that personality would, would just be like kicked out of like a guy with that attitude couldn't even play AAU basketball. And, and, and honestly, like that makes me sad. Cause it's the same thing with Kobe Bryant. Like, and like, that yeah. thing's like kind of like, as we kind of get past what happened with Kobe, obviously, like that's going to be an, a conversation that we're going to have. Like when the Kobe documentary comes out and it's going to be awesome. I'm sure that's going to be something people are going to wrestle with as well. Cause it's like Kobe almost took that Jordan competitiveness step on your throat. Kind of took it to almost like a new level. And like, I'm being real right now. Like, I really feel like in today's society and I am not trying to be like old man yelling at a cloud here. Cause I think like, there needs to almost kind of be like a balance between the two. Like you can't be like so cutthroat and such an asshole. Like there has to be some kind of marriage between the two. But like it makes me a little bit sad that a guy like with a personality like that would be shunned now. And he absolutely would be. And because like kids nowadays, and like, again, I feel like I'm like fucking Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino to a degree now. Like, yeah, yeah, kids, kids not, these days. But they're not going to fucking listen to that shit. But here's my thing, right? If you're Michael Jordan and like you with like all the stuff you do, Davis, right? Like you want to win, right? Like me personally, like, yeah, I, I want to win at everything I do, right? I want to, I want to win money at DFS. I want to win gambling. I want to be better than my peers at, you know, figuring out who's going to have the best fantasy football seasons. But I, I don't have that that same like I even in, in anything I do I just don't think I would ever have that same drive to be like 
I gotta, I gotta tell everyone else they're trash at the same time. Well, know? well, I think here's the difference. And I think here's an important point to parse through when you play fantasy football and you play daily fantasy, like it's you, like you're the one that constructs your lineup. You yeah, are the yeah, one that does I'm, your I'm the Island. Yeah. You are the, but like, if you're playing a team sport or you're trying to conduct a job that involves other people, like pulling their weight in order for you to win, then like the way that I'm wired, for instance, right. And like, I've had to kind of like, you, you check yourself a little bit as time as you kind of get older and like kind of mellow out a little bit, but like, I want to fucking win. And it's not just that yeah. like, I, I want to win. It's like, I feel like I kind of like need to win. Like yeah. I, or otherwise it's like, what's the fucking point? And for a guy, and I am not trying to compare myself to Michael. Cause like Michael is the fucking, at the, the, the height of everything, like the apogee of all of this shit. But like when you want to win and you're surrounded by people and like you need them to help you win and they're not doing what you need them to do in order to win, like you're going to get in their ass. And like, it's like, and it reaches a point where it's like, fuck feelings, fuck your fucking feelings fuck my fucking feelings. Let's do what we've got to do in order to win. And I feel like now it's more important to play patty cake and kumbaya and let's smile and have a good time. And if we lose in seven, we lose in seven. Let's go put our feet up and drink a Mai Tai in the off season. And like Michael wasn't wired like that. And it kind of makes me sad that like that kind of elite level competitor is kind of like would be drowned out in present day. So how do you, how do you respond to the idea that yeah, we got we got Michael picking on Scott Burrell. We got him punching. We got him punching Steve Kerr. You know, we 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 have him. You know, making fun of the rookies, but you don't see you don't see him at practice uh, getting up in Oakley's face, right? He's not he's not telling Rodman to hustle harder. He's not he's not physically challenging those guys. Like, what do you what do you think of the idea that that MJ was kind of he found the guys who were weaker and you know just kind of picked them off as opposed to doing the same stuff with you know, guys who, who just would not have taken it from him. Well, well, I think that, you know, in the case of Oakley, I think that's younger Michael Jordan probably like, and winning yeah. kind of emboldens you in that regard. And also like Charles Oakley would fucking like smash his face into would vaporize his fucking jawline. But like with Rodman, like Jordan doesn't need to get into Dennis Rodman's ass, you know, like you, like we, we, the Rodman episode was great. Like Rodman's self-motivated. Like Rodman had his demons and like wanted to go party. But when it came down to it, like that motherfucker wants to win. Yeah. He wanted to play basketball. Like Scottie Pippen wants to win. So like, I don't think it's necessarily a case of Jordan, like being the bully. I think it's Jordan identifying the guys on his team that need to be pushed. And it just so happens that the guys that need to be pushed are guys that probably aren't, aren't performing, who aren't pushing themselves to that level. Now, maybe you can say, okay, like, and I'm going to use Scott Burrell as an example here. And like, maybe like, this isn't a perfect example. And I'm just using the name. Maybe Scott Burrell really wanted to win and really pushed himself and just didn't have the ability. In which case, Michael, like you're, you're yelling at a cloud at that point. Like you're trying to force a square peg into a circular hole. But I think listening to Michael talk, he felt like these guys that he was going after had the ability to be great and for whatever reason weren't pushing themselves to be great. And in Michael's warped head, and I'm not trying to defend him, I'm just saying this is how I think his psyche works and how he thinks, is that when it comes down to it, he needs to win. And if he's going to win, they've got to perform. And if they're not going to do it, he's got to get in their ass to make sure that they're going to do it. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that's what I think his, his kind of his perspective is. All right, couple of the couple of the things from episode seven. The the first is that this Scottie Pippen thing. If this happened today, this happened in a playoff game in the NBA in twenty. Like you know, we we come back from quarantine, we get back, and and a guy throws a fit because the last shot is not going for him. Doesn't come in the game. 
I mean, this dude would be eviscerated. Tw- I mean, I, I, I legitimately don't know if like guys would play again after this. Like it would, it would be so terrible and people mention it as regards to Pippen, but like I wasn't there. So I don't even think of Pippen as the guy who sat out in that last minute. And, and also I got to say, I kind of get it right. Pippen was the best player on that team. He deserved to get the shot, you know, Kukoc being good at those shots or not. You know what I mean? Well, again, like I'm not going to defend Scotty's decision because like, I think it's pretty obvious that he made the wrong call there, but I mean, there's a lot that goes into like that cocktail, like why Scotty did what he did. Right. Um, he was the best player on that team. And like, I will go down with the ship and I've said this and like Rodman's been saying it also like Scotty Pippen in 93, 94, like the bulls didn't win the title. The Rockets did. Scotty didn't win MVP. Hakeem did. And this is not to disparage Hakeem's greatness because he's an, an all time, all time yeah, legend. But like, Scotty was the best player in the league that year. Like Scotty was, was the, should have been the MVP of the league that year. Scotty almost single-handedly dragged a shitty Bulls team minus Michael to the Eastern Conference Finals. And who knows if they get, now they would not, they were not beating the Rockets anyway. So like without Michael, that wasn't happening, but that was it. They won 55 games that year post, post Michael. So you've got Scotty there who's lived in the shadow of Michael. And I don't think he resents Michael for it. I, I think that's kind of like, this kind of played out. Yeah, I don't, I don't, that's, which is interesting because yeah. I think that like, again today, I mean, we know Durant was like this Curry guy, dude, he's not as good as me. Like, like Durant represented Westbrook or resented Westbrook, resented Harden, Resented Curry is pro- like probably already hates playing with Kyrie. Like probably already is over it. Um, and they haven't played a game. And I believe haven't played a game. But yeah. I mean, well, how? By the way, how crazy would it be if Kevin Durant never plays a game for the Nets? It, it could happen. It could happen where Kevin Durant never plays a game for the Nets. It would be it would be incredible. But I think it's a testament to Scotty's personality that he doesn't resent that he doesn't seem to resent Michael at all because I think that's it would be extremely human if he was just like you know what screw this guy. Well, I think that Scotty probably is self-aware and smart enough to know that like he doesn't, he's not in the same way that you can make the arguments that Michael Jordan may not be Michael Jordan without Scotty Pippen. Like Scotty Pippen is definitely not Scotty Pippen without, without Michael, Michael. With, 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 without Michael. So I think that Scotty, and again, like I like to, I am an armchair psychoanalyst, but you know, I've got a little life experience. Sure. So kind of the way, like I, if you're Scotty, right. And I don't want to use like playing in Michael's shadow. Cause again, I don't think he resented Michael, but Scotty gets the opportunity that season to be quote unquote, the man. And he runs with it. And I think he's like, at, at, at worst, he's the second best player in the NBA that year behind Akeem. People want to make the argument for Akeem, whatever. And he's carrying this team and they're, they're doing it. And they're in this do or die spot to save the season in that game three against the Knicks that I remember watching. And Tony Kukoc is going to get the shot. So now like, now we can take this a couple other angles. So now you have the fact that Pippen has been underpaid throughout his entire career. We haven't even hit like the zenith of that yet coming up a couple of years, but he's underpaid at that point. He already resents Tony Kukoc from the dream team shit because he hates Jerry Krause because Krause hasn't paid him and Krause has anointed Kukoc to be the golden boy. So it's not just, it wasn't like Phil drew the shot up for Bill Cartwright or for Horace Grant or for BJ Armstrong or for John Paxson. He drew it up for Kukoc. So in that moment, it's not just like, okay, you're taking the ball out of my hands. It's you're taking the ball out of my hands and you're giving it to this motherfucker. You won't pay me and you won't prop me up but this is your fucking golden boy. 
And now in the moment where the man has left and I've put the team on my back and I'm the borderline MVP, not only am I not going to get the shot to save the season, but you're going to give it to fucking him. To, to, the, to the fake golden boy? To Coco, to Coach. And none of that is Coach's fault, which I think, and I know I was seeing your tweets on Sunday night also, which was fascinating about Coach. But like, I think that, pro- and I'm not defending Scotty, but I'm saying that's, almost certainly what his mindset was in that moment was yeah to me i think that i think that the very unsung hero of all of this seems to be ku coach like you go like i mean obviously i i just was not around to see this guy play but you go look at his basketball reference page and you're like wow this guy was an amazing player and he was an amazing player for a long time he played in the nba until he was 37 uh, he, he was like a legit three point shooter at a time when people weren't shooting threes. And my guess is that all, like the things that people said about him at the time, which was that he was not a good defender, given that he was like a seven foot tall, small forward. My guess is that's probably just not true that he actually probably was a huge pain in the ass to play against for a lot of the, you know, he was six, ahead of five his time, man. Forwards. He's yeah. ahead of his time. In yeah. Like way, he like would Arvita be a power Simonis forward was. now. hundred percent. Yeah. So, like, for me, a great part of watching these episodes has been, like, Tony like Tony Kukoc would have been a guy that I would have loved. I would have been like, oh, this guy's awesome. He's just shooting threes. He, you know, he's just out there getting buckets. He doesn't really care. And he, and he also seemed to be like, dude, I do not care about all of this Michael Jordan, like, you know, psychology stuff. Like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do my job. But I'm just, I'm not going to get wrapped up in all of this. So, we got we to talk about the baseball a little bit, though. First of all, it was hilarious that he just gets to go play for the White Sox and keep his basketball salary. Like that's <laughs> I've never heard that discussed before, but he's just getting his bull salary and playing for the White Sox. I guess because Reinsdorf is like, if he comes back, we got to have him under contract. Like we want him to be on the team. I didn't know the part about the 13-game hit streak to start. Oh yeah. But the the missing the breaking balls for like 2 months straight. I mean, imagine how frustrating that would be as a basketball player, like you'd just be losing your mind. I think as like a human being, like anyone that wants to be good at anything, like, and you to get frustrated like that, like continually, like it's gotta be like, you want to like slam your head against the wall. And I think for Michael, it probably reached a point where, you know, like they can say like, okay, like he would have made the majors, right? 1500 at bats could have been a major leaguer. Like, what would you say? Like the percent chances that Michael Jordan would have been Michael Jordan in baseball? Like what he Zero. was in basketball. Zero percent. He would have been, he would have been, um, like the fourth outfielder for your favorite team that like only plays against lefties and comes in in extra innings as a defensive replacement and to steal bases. Like, and he's, and he, he probably reached a point where he was probably like looking at himself in the mirror, like in fucking, like some fucking podunk fucking town, probably like sharing a fucking, uh, you know, bus seat with some fucking slapdick fucking, you know, beer league catcher who's never going to make the majors. And I wanted like, that so bad. I wanted them to just bring in one of his random double A teammates. Who's like, Oh yeah, I'm an I'm an accountant now because I I played minor league baseball for six years. It didn't work out for me. Like <laughs> that, I think the documentary was really missing. Like bringing whoever the catcher was for the Birmingham right. Barons in in 1994. Like how amazing of an interview would that have been? Uh, how sick was it, by the way? And I forgot about this, and I lived through it. I forgot that Terry Francona, Francona. was his minor league manager. Uh, that's hilarious. But he probably reached a point where he's like, "Fuck, I'm Michael fucking Jordan. I don't need this shit." I'm gonna go. Let me go back and win some NBA titles. Well, then. and it also it also seemed like he maybe would have stayed in playing baseball longer and would not have came back for that 94 season, which they go on, you know, the, like basically half of the episodes last night was about how, uh, how much that 94 season 
um, like powered him mentally if the strike doesn't happen, if there was not, if there was not a collective bargaining dispute between the players and the owners in baseball, Mike might've finished, like he might've gone to spring training with the White Sox and not come back to lose that series to Horace Grant and the Magic, which is crazy to think about. It's pretty unbelievable. And by the way, shout out to my New York Yankees who would have won the World Series in 94 before the strike. It would have been Yankees Expos. would have been a great World Series. Um, it's, a, it's, it's one of the great like what ifs like in, in sports, like in all the, all the intricacies and all the tentacles that sprout out because of that strike in 94 in many different directions, but obviously as it concerns Michael. And, and I loved last night's episode, Sunday night's episodes, because that to me, like, I, I, I always think of this line with the Matrix, like the, the first Matrix movie is the best one because becoming is more fun than being, right? That's always the better story is becoming, like summiting the mountain as opposed to now I'm on the mountain forever. And right. 91, like like all the losses to the Pistons are such a great story when he finally conquers them and then beats the Lakers. And like he wins a couple of times and it's like, okay, like it's the same fucking story every year now. But then you add that wrinkle to the story the losing to the magic, right? In, in, in 95 before they come back and win in 96 and have the greatest team ever. So like, that's why I thought this episode was so great because it took Michael who had, he was the being already and then he had to become it again. And I always think that's such a better story. Becoming is always in storytelling. I think so much more interesting than being. And that's a, a really interesting wrinkle was the the Space Jam games. Like he gets this, he basically has the movie theater build him a gym to work out in. And, you know, we've heard about these legendary dream team practices forever, but I, I have never heard, you know, it, it's never been widely reported on that he was playing pickup games with Juwan Howard and Reggie Miller and like all of these you know, amazing, amazing NBA players, right? Like we're we're not we're not getting any of that. Like I imagine those games were just as intense, if if not more intense. And Michael was, you know, picking up obviously a ton of latent information there that he would need to like, you know, come back and, and beat I mean he played those guys in the playoffs eight months later. Now here's what's it was what I thought was so fascinating about that. So it's almost like he's like Mecca in a sense. And it's like, that's like your pilgrimage as a basketball player to go see Mecca. It was like, it became like, and I think it was Reggie that said it, it was like a badge of honor. Like you had to go see Michael. Like everyone went to see Michael at the Space Jam, like to play with Michael, right? And they had to know, like Reggie Miller is not a dumb guy. Reggie's a smart guy. You've got to know at that point that part of this for Michael, like he's going to come back and like he's probably trying to collect some info, like kind of like pick back up. And it's almost like they couldn't stop themselves from going and providing Michael with what he wanted because their reverence for Michael was so unbelievable that like there's nothing that could have stopped they them. They couldn't even the stop themselves. It, it's, it's a pilgrimage. Like it's almost like it was like a religious thing. I got the sense that like they all had to go and see Michael. They all, even if it was to their ultimate detriment, long-term detriment, they still couldn't stop themselves. They had to do it. They had to go see Michael. Yeah. Um, a couple of the other, a couple of the other things were, you know, Michael talks a lot about, oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta get my body back in shape for basketball. Cause I'm in, you know, I'm in, I'm in baseball shape. I, I, you know, my, I'm, my legs are too big. You know, I'm, I'm kind of stocky and you do, by the way, like there's a big difference when you see the 91 to 94 Jordan highlights and then the 96, 97, 98, like he does look a lot different. He just is like a bigger bulkier guy but Michael to me also never seemed like a guy who like I, I I never got the sense that he was like dieting you know like like watching his nutrition real closely like he would go to practice and he would work super hard and he would lift 
but I don't think that he is on the, you know, 2020, like these guys, they all have nutritionists. They, you know, they like Steph Curry maybe has never had a Coca-Cola in his life. Like, honestly, like, and, and I think Mike was, it's just a, a, such an interesting dichotomy for how athletes trained back then. Like athletes back then, they just worked super hard. They, they lifted, they played, they'd be busy 18 hours a day. And like, you know, no, no trainer, right? Cause Mike had the trainer, uh, Lucas Grover, I think was his name. No trainer would sign up for that. Now they'd be like, dude, you're going to die. You'll never, you'll never make it doing all this, which is just, it's a very interesting difference. Like I, I wonder if Mike would rebel in 2020 against trainers being like, hour of cardio a day, hour of lifting, then you got to rest. You got to get 10 hours of sleep. Yeah. You'd be like, fuck you. Absolutely. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm not gonna, sleeping. I'm, I'm going to draw a wrestling parallel here. Like my, my, and like the same thing you said about Steph Curry, like my friends and I will often joke, like is John Cena ever eaten a slice of pizza? Like does John Cena eat hamburgers? Like has he ever had right. a bacon cheeseburger before? But you hear stories about Ric Flair in the eighties. And like, I think Flair and Jordan is like somewhat of a, of a, of, of a comparable that, that you can make. Like Flair would stay out drinking all night. But like at six, he'd go to sleep at like 3 a.m., but then he's up at six and he's on the treadmill for two hours working it all off. And he was just a cardio beast. So I don't think there's a, like, I, I, I love like how they painted like the rosy picture of Michael early. Like, oh, like I never, Michael never drank or never smoked or never gambled or never did anything. That motherfucker was out burning the midnight oil. Everyone's heard the stories about it. A, he was a physical freak and B, he just got up and worked it all off. So I think like, it's a great point by you, the kind of the difference in eras where like a John Cena never eats a slice of pizza. Ric Flair was drinking vodka all night and then working it off in the morning. So yeah, there's, there's no doubt like a major difference there between the eras. Yeah, there's a, there's a big story making the rounds right now of Jeremy Rennick and Michael Jordan playing 36 holes of golf and drinking oh, yeah. a case of Coors Light before a game against the Cavaliers. And I'm just thinking, like, if any player showed up to the arena right now, one, having played a round of golf. Remember, do you remember when LeBron showed up with the, walked into with a glass of wine like to, to a game and got fucking killed for it? He wasn't even playing. Yeah. That was when he was out with the groin yeah. injury yeah. and people were losing their minds. Yeah. Yeah. And I just am thinking like, I remember, do you remember when Giannis rode his bike to the arena? Cause there was yeah, a traffic jam yeah. and people were like, Oh my gosh, how is he going to be able to play? He rode his bike four miles to the arena. And I'm just like, it's, it's, it's just nuts how different the lives are for these guys now. Yeah. yeah. And like, and, and I want to go back cause I think I kind of like lost over it, but like the Pippin point you made about social media and like, it would have never forgiven him. Like, Hey, it, it, it is really fascinating to think like if the Jordan career had happened in this time, he would have gotten fucking lampooned for losing to the Pistons as many times as he did. So as it's kind of like history's kind of written by the victors and like Jordan's history has kind of been written and continues to be written by himself as he had, you know, creative control of this documentary. So I think it's, it's, it's an intensely fascinating point. And like, I don't even think it's something that we're really going to be able to fully grasp the ramifications of until we get like years into the future and really like see like the social media impact and how like it has changed the way we kind of consume stuff. But like, Pippen would have never been forgiven, man. Like there's, there's, it would have always, always been brought up. Like Kevin Durant, like if Durant had pulled what he did, leaving Oklahoma City and you know, joined the Golden State, if that had happened in like the 90s or no one said, oh, it would never happen. Let's say it did. Like it would be forgiven by now. Like it would not be like the number one thing that people bring up like they do with Durant now. Like Scotty has kind of gotten away with it to a degree, right? Yeah. Like Durant will never get away from that. Like it will always never. be there for Kevin Durant. Scotty can escape it. Yeah, I mean Durant will 
be one of the 10 best players ever, probably. MVP, multiple finals MVP, multiple rings. And people are going to be like, whenever he retires and gives his Hall of Fame ceremony, like people are going to be like, oh, this guy, you know, this like, guy, right? He always needed. Out. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a big bummer. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't have anything eloquent to say about Kevin Durant that I haven't already tried to say. But it, it, this, this whole series for people like me who only knew the stories and didn't know some of the behind the scenes stuff, it does, it just becomes, so what, I guess what really becomes clear is why people 10 years, 15, 20 years older than me don't like the NBA now when they're like, Oh, this sucks. Like, like LeBron teaming up with these guys, this sucks. Durant going to the golden state. This sucks. Load management. This sucks. It was because the guys that they loved, I, you know, I, you know, either you loved Michael and you wanted to, you wanted everyone you loved to be like that, or you loved guys who were competing against Michael, who saw the bar that Michael was holding, and they were all trying to get to that bar too, and they were trying to like you know out hardo each other, and there's just there's none of that now. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm not one of those people that like I love the NBA, I love all sports, I'm I'm into everything, and like ultimately, like selfishly, like it's about me at the end of the day. Um, yeah. I like to I like to gamble, and um. I love to play fantasy and daily fantasy and like games allow me to do that. So like the NBA could be the worst fucking product ever and I'm still going to watch it every night because I love to bet on it and I love to play fantasy with it. So like I I'm into all, all the sports, but I, I kind of like take umbrage a little bit when people in my age group or like people older than me, um, like, Oh, like it's not, it's not as good as it was in the nineties. Like bullshit, man. Like, like, Those games are so low scoring. Like, yeah. did, are people paying attention to the fact that the Bulls are playing 75, 76 games? Like, who wants to watch that? Like, but like, like you seriously. have to understand though, it was, but like, and then like, there was nothing else though. So yes. it wasn't, but it was, well, it wasn't like we had like what we have now to be like, oh, like this sucks. It was just like, that's what it was. And like, you were so into it. And for me, like, it, it's funny, right? Because like, uh, my fan experience has been so much different over the last 20 years because my team has sucked, but I was so into it then that they could have played like 48, 44 games and every game felt like game seven of the NBA finals because of the stakes involved with it. But like, we didn't know any better at that point. Right. Like, oh wow, like the grass is greener on the other side. And honestly, I feel like, like people my age are older than a belly aching over like, oh, the NBA is not as good now as it was then. It's like, get over yourself. Like that's a little revisionist history. Like I think the product is definitely, definitely better now. It doesn't mean that that product wasn't great. It was just a different time. It's just different. It was great yeah. at the time, yeah. So Mike, Mike comes back, and it seems like he practiced like a week. Like he comes back to the Bulls facility, gets in some five-on-five, five, and, and then he's just in an NBA game. Like he's, he, spent, he spent 21 months playing, playing baseball. And I mean, maybe that's not the exact timeline, but it seems like he went from being a baseball player uh, you know, probably playing a lot of cards, probably drinking a lot, probably playing a lot of golf, I would imagine, uh, over those time spans. And, and then he's just in an NBA game and hits a game winner six days later, then comes to, the, comes to the garden and smokes the Knicks in that game, you know, overshadows the great Ewing game. Like, again, this is, this is, this is why, like, we tell tall tales about Michael Jordan because some of this stuff is actually, like, legitimately unbelievable. Like, that's crazy. That, that's, that's goat shit, man. Come back yeah. and you immediately. He, I love, my favorite part of that was that he chucked up twenty eight shots in his first game back. Oh, there! I mean, there was never doubt. You know, he. You know, he was just like he was so glad to be doing something because in baseball, you know, you got to wait a long time. You don't yeah. have that much. Like you just don't have that much control in basketball. 
if you get the ball in your hands, like you can end that possession if you want. And I'm sure, um, you know, getting that control back just felt so good to him. Man, the, and like, they didn't even really show it, man. But like, Michael is thought of as being like, kind of like just a scorer amongst like casual fans. I think that maybe like, and like, I would not like put you in that bucket of it. Like, you know, exponentially more than that. Like, not only was he a great defender also, like, defensive player of the year caliber, he was an outstanding Yeah, his passer. assist numbers were good, always. So, like, it, it completely got glossed over. But in that 55-point game that I watched live as it happens, it was fucking devastated again by Michael Jordan because he fucking killed us again. He scores 55 points in that game. But at the end of the game, he drives to the basket. They all rush to him. Perfect pass to Bill Wennington. Wennington lays it up. That's how they won the game. And, like, they didn't even, like, they kind of, like, glossed over it that, like, Michael, they, the Bulls didn't win that game at the end on, like, a Michael shot. They won it because Michael sucked the defense in and made the perfect pass to Bill Wennington. Yeah, it was, an the, easy it was the who's open. That's right. Yeah, who's open, so, like, Mike. And, and that's kind of, like, the thing about that game that always stands out to me, that, yes, people will always remember the double nickel game, the comeback at the Garden. I remember that game. Because it's just another example of Michael's greatness, the pass at the end that won the game. Like the guy yeah. would do, the guy did everything possible to win. And to me, that overshadows the 55 points was the play at the end for me. So this, this Magic series, I mean, first off, why did they not re sign Horace Grant? Was it just like a, a salary cap thing? Like they couldn't pay Pippen and Kukoc and. I, Rodman wasn't on the team then. So, like, what are, what are they doing not re-signing Horace Grant? They, they're, someone, uh, Tass Mellis from The Athletic, uh, that, the very good No Dunks podcast, uh, tweeted out that the, the Bulls in 94 had six centers on the roster. Like, what, 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 uh, what's, what's going on there, Jerry Krause? Uh, and, and, like, all white stiffs usually. Like, it was yeah, all like, like Luke, 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 Luke Longley, Will Perdue, Bill, Bill Wennington. Um, if, if my memory serves me correct – I don't think Rodman – Rodman, I think, was on the team in 96. So I don't think this was like a Rodman yeah, or yeah, Horace Grant. Then. Um, I, if my memory serves correct, Grant wanted out of Chicago, and he wanted to go play for Orlando because they were the up-and-coming team. And at that point – like, I mean, so that, that roster – go look at that roster. Of course. They, there's, there's Hall of Famers up and down that team. Like, they, I mean, they were the better team than the Bulls for sure. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, well, like, if Michael's like Michael, then maybe not. But, like, given the way things being the way that they were. And I also liked how they kind of, like, conveniently glossed over, like, the fact that Nick Anderson, who was great in that series, game one of the 95 NBA Finals against the Rockets, missed four consecutive free throws at free the throws. end of the game, which completely changed it. Now, the Rockets probably still would have won the series because Akeem, like, dropped his nuts on Shaq's face the entire series. But, like, that could have been a different series if Nick Anderson makes those, um, makes those free throws. But Horace, like, so you're Horace, right? Michael leaves. Like, okay, like, we're a good team, but, like, they weren't as good as the Knicks. They weren't as good as the Pacers. Certainly weren't as good as the Rockets. He's probably like, fuck this, man. I ain't winning here unless Michael comes back. He doesn't know if Michael's coming back. He can go play for Penny, who at that point was, like, kind of viewed to be, like, maybe not, like, as good as Jordan, but one of the next Jordans. Plus, yeah, like, what, like what we do now where every young great player is the next LeBron. I'm sure every great young guard then was the next Michael. Yeah, and and and... and there was bad blood between Horace and Bulls ownership. I, stop me if you've heard this before. But I think Horace had a bone to pick with Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf, and they, like, fake, they like, accused him of faking an injury during that 94 season. So I don't think this was a case of the Bulls being like, we don't want Horace Grant. I think there was probably that, but I think Horace also wanted to get the fuck out of town also and wanted to go play somewhere else. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and that, um, that series, I mean, we got, we got young Shaq. Like I, I think people think a lot of Kobe and Michael overlapping there at the end, but you know, you don't think of, of Shaq and Michael, you know, having played against each other. Uh, you know, like that, that's just, that's not something that, that really gets brought up when we talk about Mike. I, I, I would say that it seemed like the Orlando series and losing that series. I mean, obviously it had this huge impact on Michael. It fuels him to be this maniac over that off season and get ready to, to go to the 72 win season or whatever. But this is the first time I literally even heard that series discussed. Like when people talk about Michael Jordan, cause it's a, it's not as fun to talk about the, when he lost, like I, I literally have never even heard this series discussed before. Well, I think it's kind of like, it was shocking when they lost, but it also wasn't. And I think it's kind of like, it's the kind of an asterisk type of deal, right? Cause yes, they lost, but like Michael was not Michael at that point. So it was almost like, I remember thinking like, and, and I'm viewing it through my personal prism, which was on the other side of that bracket in 95. So you had Bulls magic in one Eastern conference semi, the other Eastern conference semi was Knicks Pacers. And that's the Ewing miss finger roll in game seven. When I, I cried my, I, I cried a lot over Knicks games in the nineties. I cried my eyes out when Ewing missed that finger roll and the Pacers won that series. So for me, like I personally was so wrapped up in the Knicks Pacers series and the Knicks losing and being so crushed by that, that I wasn't like as intense, intensely into the Bulls magic series. But I remember thinking and talking to my dad and grandfather and being like, yeah, the Bulls lost, but Michael ain't Michael. And it wasn't like one of those things where it's like, oh, like, right. But Bulls aren't going to be back next year. It was like, fuck man. Like he's back and everyone else is screwed again. Like once he's got an off season under his belt. So that, that was kind of my memory of it at the time. So my theory this whole series has been that Steve Kerr does not like Michael Jordan. And I, I never really had a reason to pinpoint why I, well, first of all, I just feel like after seeing this incident of them getting in the fight, I think Kerr's entire coaching and organizational philosophy with the Warriors and, and when his time in the Suns too, was literally to do everything the opposite of how Michael did things, you know, promote, sharing the ball and, you know, communication and, and, you know, like, I'm sure he, he took a lot of stuff from Phil of like, you know, like meditation and, you know, all this stuff. And I, even though, even though Kerr says in the documentary, you know, after the fight, they get in this fight and then Michael calls them and they make up and they, they become friends or whatever. I don't buy it at all. I, I think, I think Kerr has hated MJ ever since then, but he realized that, for the team cohesion, like he couldn't spend the rest of the season or time in, in Chicago being mad at Michael. And so he just, cause he's a teamwork guy. He is the kumbaya guy. So he did what he had to do to pave things over. But I, I think Kerr just hates MJ. I, I don't. Okay. You may be right about that, but I also think that that is immaterial because he respects sure. MJ. And yes, like, that's hundred percent true. And they haven't gotten it to, to it yet, but like I have, I am sure that next week when they go through 98, and Kerr hits the, the shot at the end to win the final championship and to beat the Jets, kind of like the same way Paxson hit that shot in 93 to beat the Suns. Kerr hits the shot in 98. That Steve Kerr will say, without Michael, without all of that happening, Steve Kerr probably does not get to that point where he is, he's the man in that instance. And like, so that would be, I don't, maybe he likes it, maybe he doesn't, but he respects the fuck out of it. But it doesn't matter either way. Because it, it does, because it really doesn't make a difference because when it came down to it, Kerr did not bitch out. He rose to the challenge. He earned the respect of the greatest of all time. And guess what? He contribute like Michael probably, they probably still would have won, but like you can, there's a case to be made. 
maybe they don't win that championship without Steve Kerr. And Michael knows that. And that's yeah. why I think that Kerr's probably like, where they're probably like, you know what? It all worked out. And Kerr's probably, I would guess that Kerr's probably thankful for it. And I'm not the biggest Steve Kerr fan anyway. So it's like, you know, whatever. All right. So this, uh, this final series against the Sonics, just let me say this. I think Michael has been more endearing than he thought in this, just from being open about stuff. But he is he is just stone cold lying about Gary Payton and about the yes. reason he was playing bad because he was thinking about his dad. Gary Payton, like Mike, you don't like we all like so many people love you and think you're great. Like you don't like you don't have to be like this, you know. Like you you don't have to twenty years later be like, oh, Gary Payton didn't play good defense on me. Like you can just you can just say you got locked up and had a bad series, you know. Uh, I well, part of me respects Michael for it. Because I think in his head, and he's not wrong. He's like, fucking, I'm fucking Michael Jordan. Fuck Gary Payton. Fucking Gary Payton's a pimple yeah. on my ass. So in his head, he's probably like, Gary, like no one, like the LeBradford Smith thing, I thought, I think was a perfect example, right, of what up with Michael, where LeBradford Smith didn't have to say, nice game, Mike. Like that didn't even need to happen. For Michael, it's just like the gall of LeBradford Smith to walk onto a court and score 37 points when Michael Jordan's out. That's yeah, all the LeBradford Smith story is is great example of petty Michael, of him just like, I need something to get, you know, George Carl didn't say hi to me in the restaurant. I don't think, like, that's, pe- I don't think that's petty. Oh, that's it's petty me. for sure, but it's, it's what he needed. I don't, see, I don't think that, I think like in his head, he's thinking like, how dare this guy come onto my court and do this? He thinks that he can do this, now I'm going to shove it up his ass and I'm going to show him like, he's psychotic. Like, I don't know if it's petty. I think that he's insane. Like, he's nuts. Um, I, I what were we just, what were, I, I kind of lost my train of thought on this. Uh, what, the, so at the, at the very end of episode eight. Oh, the Gary Payton thing. They, yeah. they, they hand him the iPad. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's probably in his head, like, who's Gary Payton to say anything about me? But like, I just don't want this to get lost amongst like younger fans. Like Gary Payton is like an all time awesome. great. Like yeah. his nickname was the glove. He's one of the great defensive guards of all time. Like Michael, you're right. Davis, like Michael, like you got locked up a couple of games by one of the greatest defenders of all time. Like you're still the best. Like no one would ever say Gary Payton's better than you, but like, it's okay, buddy. Like you got locked down for a couple of games and, but, and George Carl, moron hey george maybe put your hall of fame defensive player on my game one yeah maybe like maybe that's something you should do george fucking snake another another crazy thing is that is that um this was announced before the game this would never happen now you would never you would never announce your your defensive game plan to the opposing team before the game but we have you know we have the i I can't remember if it's hannah storm or Susie colbert but we we see the from 1996 the the pre-game report of her standing courtside and being like Gary Payton's going to guard Michael Jordan tonight. Like that would never happen now. Like you, you what? would never, you would never give that away. Well, may, may, well, cause in that situation, they're down three Oh, and it's like, this is our last ditch. So maybe like, it was like a, a try like trying to like psychologically kind of tilt it in their favor, be like, now we're doing this. And if it works, maybe we can get, but you're, you're probably right about that. But I think that was probably their kind of thought going into it was we're down fucking three Oh, we got nothing to lose here. Hey, we're going to put Gary on Michael. And if this works, then we can kind of psychologically carry this over. And by the way, like they, they forced a game six and like, they did not get blown out in game six. Like they almost yeah. clawed their way back to a game seven. And that's kind of like a historical footnote that's forgotten about that series. Cause the bulls went up three Oh. Yeah. You know, they just, uh, they, uh, you know, they, they found a way. So we're, we are now getting into the timeline of the 72 win season. I, I kind of thought that they would spend 
more time on it, but they, they kind of just glossed over really, you know, this historical scene. And I guess maybe the reason why they didn't spend as much time on that season was because the Warriors broke it 20 years later. Um, but yeah, and they, you know, they made sure to drive home the, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter without a ring ain't and a thing without the, ain't a thing without that ring. How great I'm, sure, is that? And I'm sure, I'm sure Michael, I mean, by the way, I'm sure no one was madder than when the Warriors won 73 games than Michael Jordan. I'm sure he was just, you know, wherever he is, is spending his time these days, I'm sure he's tilting his face off that they were able to win. And dripping games. with irony that the Jordan comparison is the guy that stopped them from, from, from crowning the best season of all time. A little yeah. delicious bit of irony there as well. And then, uh, I mean, I just, I thought it was great that at the time they knew how good they were because the Warriors are not saying this at all. The Warriors win 73 games and Draymond and, and, and Curry are like, dude, this is exhausting every night. This is terrible. And Pippen's like, I don't think we're going to lose for three months. Like, it, like it just was a, a, the way that it impacted those teams was very different. Yeah. And I also think like, and it's just like, see, I'm somewhat of a Warriors hater to a degree, like with full respect of like what they were able to do. Like, the war, the Bulls kind of had reason, I think, to more feel like that because they never lost, like, like really, like they never lost. Like they won the three championships. Well, once we hit ninety one, like they never lost. Ninety four, they lose to the Knicks. Michael's not there, doesn't matter. Ninety five, they lose to the Magic. It's not really Michael, doesn't really matter. So like they never really lost. Like once they won in ninety one, that team never lost. So I think like for them, it was probably more of like a walk in the park. Whereas that Warriors team. Um, Probably a little different for them because that team that beat the Cavs the first time in, in 2015, I still hold, and I'm a LeBron fanboy. Um, Warriors would not have won that series if Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were healthy. Cavs were up 2-1 in that series, and then the, everything gets shot to hell. Warriors win the next three. So then I think that they probably got that feeling in their head. Like, we've only won once, and maybe slightly – I think there should be a big asterisk there. A lot of people kind of just, like, gloss over that. And like, oh, Warriors. Like, fucking – they won – like, LeBron and fucking no one on that team once those two guys went down. Um, so I think it was kind of, like, psychologically a little bit different also where the Bulls had already summited the mountain and were recognized as the Kings. And the Warriors at that point were like – they needed that to plant their flag in and say we're the best. So a lot more pressure right. on that warrior. To be fair to that Warriors team, I think a lot more pressure on them than on that ninety five ninety six Bulls team. Yeah, for sure. That is that is um yeah I think I think that is definitely true. So I think that uh, that's gonna it's gonna do it here for for episodes seven and eight. Nick, it was a uh, it was a great time. I'm I'm really enjoying these i mean it's you know it's obviously it's great to have this stuff on when uh you know all, all we're sweating out now is korean baseball and korean soccer and and reports are that uh that the kbo is now starting to worry about the about the second wave so who even knows how much longer we're gonna have the kbo man i just I, i'm just trying to like hold on to optimism like with both hands like premier league could be back by june 1st bundesliga is supposed to be coming back soon so look man i i just i just keep saying this to everyone like as long as we get nfl in the fall like, I think everything's going to be all right. So that's kind of like all my eggs are kind of in that basket. Yeah, find like, a way to get us stuff. football, guys. Please, find if, a way. If there's, if there's no football, man, by the way, like, this is like our industry, like, and not just like fantasy, not just oh, gambling. The, the, like, the money. <laughs> the, sports, the money's going to find somewhere else. Sports broadcasting is going to get nuked if there's no NFL this fall. So, like, that's yeah, kind of like – Very tough scene. Yeah, that's kind of like where my energy's at here is I'm cool until we hit September, and if then when we get football – we're good to go. And everything else I think is just would be icing on top of the cake of the NFL cake. Yep. All right, everyone, make sure to follow Nick on Twitter. Make sure to watch, uh, watch the show, get everyone do all that stuff. And uh, we'll be back next week with another recap episode. 
build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.